Good morning. This is God's word from the chapter, John chapter 11, starting in verse 17 through 27. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she sent, or sorry, she went to meet him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give to you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who believes, who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Thank you, Vicki. Good morning, church family. How are we doing? You guys good? Uh, if you're new, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Glad to be able to join with you today for worship. And as Kyle mentioned a moment ago, we are diving back into the Gospel of John. We started the Gospel of John last year about this time. We love as a church, one of our favorite things is to just take books of the Bible and spend an extended period of time going through them line by line, verse by verse, book, you know, word for word. And uh, we made it not quite halfway in a year. So we're doing pretty good. Uh, breakneck pace. And we took a break last Advent, took a break over the summer for Psalms and for our uh, topical series, things that are hard to do. And now we're diving back into John chapter 11 and we'll basically be in the Gospel of John throughout the rest of this school year. Uh, and really, I'll do some more recap in just a moment, but really, just so if you're aware, like if you missed out on it, you're kind of jumping back in right after the intermission. Uh, this, this story of Jesus has had a lot of setup, and we've kind of reached a midway point where the, the story pivots and the story turns, and everything is heading full steam ahead to the cross, to the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And so if you uh, have the opportunity this week, I would encourage you to read the Gospel of John, uh, the first 10 chapters. Maybe you could chip away at it over the course of this week. It's engaging stories. Uh, all the sermons are up on the website as well. And uh, I just, I'll point out another uh, resource that uh, I, many people are not aware of. There is an organization, uh, they're called the LUMO Project, and what they have done is they have made full-length movies of each one of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And actually, a lot of our images and stuff that we get are come from these movies. They are incredibly beautifully shot. They're very well done. They got actors who are actually, you know, uh, Middle Eastern, Jewish to play all the different parts. You don't have, you know, pasty white Irish Jesus uh, in the movie. But what they are is they are well acted out and they are narrated word for word the entire Gospel of John. So if instead of sitting and reading, if you're more visual or auditory, you could get one of these movies. I think you can rent them online at various digital outlets. Uh, I think Pastor Kyle bought a set of the DVDs. We might try to take one with us over to Uganda here next month. Uh, but you can sit and you can just watch and listen to the entire Gospel of John word for word uh, through the Bible while it's being acted out. Uh, it's, it's really well done. So I'll just draw your attention to that. It's all up on the website. That's if you need to get caught up. Otherwise, you're here. Let's do this. What do I say? We pray together and uh, dive into John chapter 11. Would you pray with me? 
Father, thank you for your word. God, your word is truth and your word is life. And your word is given to us to help us uh, in every one of life's challenges. And today, Lord God, we want to come to you and we want to bring our expectations, the things that we think are going to happen, the things that we hope are going to happen in our lives. And we want to place them in your hands. And God, I ask and I pray that you would give each and every one of us soft, teachable hearts. God, for myself, would you guard my lips and help me to only teach that which is in line with the truth of your word. Jesus, would you be glorified here today? Would you get all of our attention and, and our praise? And we give this time to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thinking about the subject of expectations, can you just remember, did anybody try something new this week? Anybody try something new? I know for um, a lot of children in the last week or so, they started school. So there's a new teacher or a new classroom. Maybe for some, it's an entirely new school going from elementary to middle or middle to high school. Anybody here start a job recently? Yeah, okay. Anybody quit a job recently? Oh, yeah, yeah, where's Lynn? Yeah, there you go. That's right, you are happy about that, right? Uh, did anybody go to a concert or try something new? I have, a, I have concert tickets uh, for this upcoming Saturday night, and I'm really looking forward to it. I hope it's going to go well. I've, I, I've seen this band once before, but they were only opening. This is a time they're going to play a headlining set. I've got high expectations for this concert. Anybody, you know, start a new relationship recently? Start dating somebody? Or uh, maybe you made a new friend. You met somebody at a Bible study or at a coffee shop or whatever. Oh, I hope this, I hope this is going to go well, right? Anybody have a baby recently, right? Kid, yeah, semi-recently. You don't remember. They're all, it's the days blur together when you've had a baby recently, right? How's that going? Has it been what you expected? You expect, what's the, what's the lady that takes all of those photos of babies in like cabbages and stuff? And yeah, like that was your expectation of what parenthood was going to be like, right? Jordan, that's, I know that's what you were thinking. Nothing says Jordan like cabbage babies. Uh, has it been like that or has it been more like dirty diapers and screaming all night long, right? <clears throat> we have a lot of expectations about how things are going to go in our lives. What about church? Maybe, maybe some of you, are, you're new here. It's your first time here. You're like, wow, I don't, I don't know what to expect. Or, you know, is, is, is you know, the preaching going to be good? Is there, you know, are people going to be friendly? Will there be a banjo in the worship band? I don't, you know, what are your expectations? <laughs> Not just about church, though. What about God himself? Coming to God with your, your prayers. Will he listen to me? Will he hear me? When I, when I cry out to him, will he answer me? How's my life going to go? We all have a lot of expectations in our lives, whether we realize it or not. And it's interesting coming off the heels of the sermon I preached last week about healing from being hurt by the church. I think that some of the deepest hurt we can experience is when we have expectations about God and then he fails to live up to our expectations of him. And so, if you'll allow me today, this is, here's, here's what I'm not going to say. Here's what I'm not going to say. I'm not going to say, well, you just need to lower your expectations, and God's really busy, and, you know, your stuff's not that important, and that's not what I'm going to say. Here's what I am going to say. Far too often, our expectations of Jesus just aren't big enough. You and I, set our hopes, set our dreams, set our expectations far too small. 
when in fact what Jesus has for us is nothing short of eternal life, starting today and lasting into eternity. So that's where we're going to go. Let me just take a brief minute, if I could, and just remind you of what we've looked at so far. Because again, this, this story, the Gospel of John, is a, it's an in-depth story and many twists and turns. Here's what we saw. We saw in John chapter 1, during this prologue section, this idea of the Word. Kind of this esoteric idea, the spiritual idea, the Word, the Logos. It's, he, he's with God and yet somehow is God. And then all of a sudden, the Word becomes flesh. Divinity takes on humanity and the two are, are, are wedded together in the person of Jesus from a town called Nazareth. And then Jesus starts calling disciples. We, we meet a guy named John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. That's different than John the author, by the way. There's lots of Johns. And if you're confused by how many Johns there are, just wait till we start talking about Marys in a minute. There are lots of them. You gotta take good notes and keep your uh, Johns and your Marys straight. But Jesus calls these disciples. He says, come follow me. Come do what I'm doing. Come live like I'm living. Come see what it is that I'm doing. And he starts doing these miracles. He, he, the, the first chunk of the Gospel of John is often called the book of signs because he starts performing these signs. He, he turns water into wine, showing us the joy of the kingdom of God. He heals the, the rich man's son, showing us the healing and the redemption that comes in the kingdom. He goes to the pool of Siloam where there was a man who had been laying there as an invalid for nearly four decades. And he says, hey, do you want to get well? And he calls him out of his despair. Jesus feeds the 5,000, providing bread from heaven miraculously to the people of Israel in the wilderness, basically saying, I'm the new Moses. I'm the new shepherd, the new leader for the people of God. Oh, and then he walks on water, which that is something that only God can do. The Lord tramples upon the waves of the sea, the book of Job says. And so Jesus gave his disciples a glimpse into his divinity. And then we saw Jesus heal a blind man. You guys remember that? That was, you know, the end of the spring. He spit on the mud and made, spit in the dirt, made mud and put it on the man's eyes. And this really put him at odds with the religious leaders of the day. How dare you heal on the Sabbath? How dare you, you do this on the Sabbath? And so we've seen six of these signs. There's a seventh one coming, which is, in fact, this Lazarus narrative that we're entering into. Jesus started making these I am statements. He said things like, I am the bread of life. He said, I am the light of the world. I am the door for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. We're going to see three more. We're going to see one of them in today's passage. I am the resurrection and the life. But all of this too, Jesus said before Abraham was, I am. And he's invoking the divine name of God. God's name is simply, I am. When Moses asks God, you know, who are you? Who should I say sent me? God answered him, just tell him that I am. Oh, so you're not like the wind God or the fire God or the rain God. You're just the God who is. Yeah, like that. Along the way, we saw some various festivals, Passover, the Feast of Tabernacles. By the way, if any of you are curious, we're in the month that the, you know, the New Year, Jewish New Year, and the Day of Atonement and the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles, all happens here in September. So if you are campers, get your tents out and sleep in your backyard for seven days. Uh, at the end of the month, you can look it up online, get one last camping trip in, and read, uh, you know, read the Festival of, of Tabernacles in Leviticus. It'll, be a, it'll just be a really good time for you and your family. Trust me, okay? We see that Jesus is often misunderstood. We see that Jesus is often getting into uh, conflict with the religious leaders of the day. But there's one other really important thing that I want to make sure we all remember, and it's this. 
the purpose statement. Why did John write this gospel? Why did John pen this? You know, we cheated and we looked at the end of the book and we see this purpose statement that John gives us. He says, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples. He didn't just do seven. He didn't just do seven. They're not written down, but I wrote these ones down specifically. Why? So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Friends, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you're here because someone invited you, maybe you're here because you have questions about God or the Bible or Jesus, I want you to know that this, le- this book was written specifically so that you might know who Jesus is and that you might place your faith in him, your trust in him, your hope in him. And we as a church community are, are preaching through this book because we want you to know the love and the grace and the forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ. And if you're here and you're already a believer, you have placed your faith and your trust in Jesus, well then our hope is that you would take this message and go share it with somebody. That you'd help them to see that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the King, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, there can be life in his name. Amen? So that's our recap. That's where we've been. Let's dive right into chapter 11, and we'll pick up this story, the Lazarus narrative. It's a couple of chapters. We'll take a few weeks to go through it, but let's at least get started today. Verse 1. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. Now, (laughs) I like it. It was Mary who anointed the Lord because you know what? John is anticipating your response. Which Mary? Which Mary was it? Lazarus, the brother of Mary. Which one? Oh, it was that Mary that anointed Jesus with her hair. Funny thing is, John hasn't told that story yet. He's going to tell it in chapter 12. We're going to get to it here in a few weeks. He hasn't yet told it, but he's referencing it. Why? Because it was such a well-known story. It was so widespread in the early church community that, that it was, it's just assumed that you'd know who he's talking about when he mentions Mary wiping the feet of Jesus with her hair. By the way, this is, I'm already on a rabbit trail, but it might be helpful for you to know There are multiple occasions in Jesus' earthly life and ministry where a woman wipes the feet of Jesus with her hair. Actually, a version of the story is mentioned in all four Gospels. There is a version in Luke chapter 7 where it happens really early in Jesus' ministry. It's right as he's starting out and a very uh, sinful, promiscuous woman comes in and weeps on Jesus and, and dries his feet with her hair. And the religious leaders are all offended. Like, does Jesus know how gross and sinful this woman is? If he, if he knew what kind of yucky, disgusting, foul person, he wouldn't be letting her do this. And Jesus rebukes them with a parable of, of the servant who had been forgiven much. He says those who have been forgiven much will, will love much. That's a different time. There's a second time, though, in Matthew, Mark, and here in John, where Mary anoints Jesus with oil And Judas gets all offended. You're wasting this really expensive oil, this really expensive ointment. That could have been sold and given to the poor. And Jesus says, the poor you'll always have with you, but I got to get ready for my burial. That's the story we're talking about here. So if you're a a Bible scholar and you want to chase those down, go, go look at that and go read that because there are two different accounts of some similar things happening in Jesus' life. Now, 
That's the Mary. The sisters sent to him saying, Lord, listen to these words. He whom you love is ill. Don't let phrases like that go by too quickly. Lord, that dude Lazarus you know. No. The one you love. The one who next week says Jesus wept over his death. So the sisters sent him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. Oh, good. It's for the glory of God. So that the son of God may be glorified through it. Now, listen, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Jesus loved them. You guys, you guys familiar with like the love languages thing, right? Uh, words of affection and physical touch and gifts, right? It's, it is what it is. It's, it's fine. It can be helpful. I just think this is particularly a strange way to show that Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So Jesus really loved them. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. I think the guy missed one of the love languages in the book. Like, you know what I'm going to do to show my love? Sit here for two days. Now, why did Jesus stay? Obviously, it can't be because he's indifferent. What did, what did we just hear? He loves them. Jesus loves them. It can't be because he was confused about the timing. Like, oh, I was just, I forgot to pay attention to my father. You know that whole thing where I only do what the father says and he and I are one? Yeah, I forgot for those two days. It can't be because of that. I was looking at some commentaries this week. People speculate a lot of different reasons why, why Jesus delayed. One, one person said that, and they weren't advocating this, they were just reporting it. They said that because Jesus refuses to be manipulated. Oh, you want me to come? I'm not going to jump like a dog with a whistle. I'm just going to sit here for a couple days. Like, it's kind of mean. I don't know. My other personal favorite one was somebody said he waited for two days to make sure that Lazarus was like really dead. <laughs> you know, like in the Princess Bride, like not mostly dead, like all the way dead, right? I don't know. Here's the, here's the reality, guys. We're not given an explicit reason. The Bible does not answer those questions. I have those questions. You have those questions, right? Why did Jesus wait for two days? And the only answer we get, so that God may be glorified. Well, that's frustrating. This has to do with, with timing because all throughout the gospel, Jesus keeps saying things like, my time is not yet here. I can't go to Jerusalem yet. I can't go up to the feast. It's not my time yet to be glorified. And in this Lazarus narrative, Jesus is for the first time going to say, my time has arrived. Timing is a, is a really big deal. Not, not just uh, in the life of Jesus, but if we're honest, our own lives. Be honest. Raise your hand. Have you ever questioned God's timing in your life? Okay? Going through something. Seems like it's just taking a long time. Ooh, does it ever seem like God's a little bit slow? Does it ever seem that? Can we just be honest? Like, this is a church. You gotta be honest. Let's, let's, let's be real. I have felt that way. And if you've walked with the Lord for any length of time, I, I'm gonna guess that you've at times felt that way. God, where are you? When will you act? What is going on? How long do I have to endure? 
the God that we serve has a different relationship to time than we do. Psalm 90 puts it this way, before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from eternity to eternity, you are God. You return mankind to the dust, saying, return descendants of Abraham, for in your sight, listen to this, a thousand years, it's just like yesterday, that passes by like a few hours of the night. Like a few hours of the night. Anybody ever woken up and been, and like you wake up in the morning, you're like, nope, that was not long enough. Anybody ever had that feeling? Oh, that was just a few hours in the night. To God, a thousand years is like that. You end their lives, they sleep. They're like grass that grows in the morning. In the morning it sprouts and grows, but by evening it withers and dries up. So from that perspective, right? From that perspective, that's, that's God. He is from eternity to eternity. He does not exist in the constraints of space and time as we do. So imagine God's perspective. And can we just say God has a different relationship with time than we do? So, so what's two days? What's two, what's two decades? What's two millennia? Can I, can I tell you? Why has Jesus not yet returned? Why has he not yet returned? It has been 2,000 years since he ascended into heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father. He said that he would return soon, publicly, visibly, bodily. But it's been two millennia. Well, Peter tells us that God's not being slow as some people count slowness. He's being patient so that lots and lots and lots of people can repent of their sins and meet Jesus. But my sense of timing wants Jesus to return now. I'll say to you this. I'll put it positively. God's timing is better than our timing. This is a hard truth to accept. It's easy to say, hard to accept. It's even maybe a little bit more striking if I put it this way. Our sense of urgency is not the same as divine timing. Just because it feels urgent to you does not necessarily mean that that's congruent with God's divine timing. Let's keep going. Verse 7. Then, after this, he said to the disciples, okay, let's go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the, the Jews were just seeking to stone you, and now you want to go there? Jesus is up in the northern part of the, the country. Uh, Bethany is right down south, right near Jerusalem. And they're like, well, he's like, let's go. And they're like, no, 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 don't. They were trying to kill you. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Now, that's one of those like kind of Jesus Yoda parable moments. Like, why are we going to Bethany right now? And he starts talking about hours in the day. Here's what Jesus is saying. It's time to go now. Now is the time. It wasn't my time before, but it's daylight now. There's 12 hours in the day. You got to act when it's daytime. Let's go. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I will go to awaken him. And I love this. The disciples said, Lord, if he's, if he's sleeping, he will recover. Like, Jesus, that's physiology 101. Like, naps are good for people who are sick. That's going to help him. Don't go wake him up. <laughs> I love that. 
Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking a rest in sleep. So then Jesus told them plainly, I just, I just imagine, this is my imagination. It's not in the scripture. It's just my imagination. Jesus is like, okay, um, he's dead. I meant that he's dead. So, uh, like that's the tone I hear it with. Maybe not, probably not, but that's how I would probably say it. Lazarus has died. And for your, this is interesting. For your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. Let's go to him. Jesus is in essence saying like, it's a good thing that I wasn't there because you're going to see something incredible. Let's go. It's time to roll. Now, Thomas called the twin. Do you guys like Thomas? Doubting Thomas. Thomas gets a bad rap, you guys. Check this verse out. Thomas called the twin. Who is his twin? Nobody knows. It's not anywhere else in the Bible. No one knows. I found in a commentary someone that speculated, like in the Middle Ages, someone speculated he was called the twin because he really looked like Jesus, like they could have been twin brothers. 100% speculation. Nobody knows. That one's free of charge, okay? Thomas, the twin, said to his fellow disciples, I love this. Well, let's also go so that we may die with him. Yes! Thomas is the same disciple, doubting Thomas, who's like, oh, you're telling me he rose from the dead? Well, unless I can, you know, touch the the nail holes in his hands and place my hand in his side, I'm not going to believe. Like, Thomas is a realist, okay? Oh, you want to go to Jerusalem? You want to go right down there? Well, they're after us. Let's go so we can all die with him. Like, that's a good disciple. Poor doubting Thomas. We need to rehab his image. Here's the deal. Maybe he's a little bit fatalistic here, but Thomas knows something about what it means to follow Jesus. He knows that to follow Jesus means there will be hardships and trials and difficulties. And friends, I want to say this to you because I want to really be careful not to overstate my case here. On the one hand, following Jesus is the absolute best life you could ever, ever live. For some of you, you came to faith later in life, and when you met Jesus, he turned things around in just a dramatic way. Uh, Addictions were gone. Dysfunctions were gone. Brokenness was gone. He brought health and well-being and stability into your life. Or maybe it was just emptiness was gone. Following Jesus is incredible, amen? There's there's no other way to live our lives. it's, It's Jesus or nothing. And yet at the same time, when we say that and we, and we, we share that with people, follow Jesus. He, he really made a difference in my life. He changed my life. What we have to be careful to avoid is giving the impression that to follow Jesus means you're going to have a life that is free from hardships. Are you guys with me? You hearing that tension? There's, there's no other life that's worth living and yet it's going to be challenging. Jesus himself said it to us. Luke chapter nine, he said, if anyone wants to follow me, You have to deny yourself. I don't know about you. I don't like to deny myself. I like to say yes to me because I'm worth it, doggone it, right? Deny himself, take up his cross. How often? Oh, daily? You mean like I don't even get Fridays off? Like it's the weekend, right? I can party a little bit? No, I just deny yourself, take up your cross every day. Put to death in you. This idea that to follow Jesus means everything is going to just be instantly smooth sailing. Or John 16, we'll get there in a few months. I've told you these things so that you may have peace. (laughs) Like, it doesn't get much plainer than this. You will have suffering in this world. Now, be courageous. I've conquered the world. 
But the expectation is in this life, we'll have hardships and trials. How many of you love hardships? No, no takers? Okay. There's at least one. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Tom. Appreciate that. I hear that woo. Uh, can I confess something to you guys? <clears throat> I have all sorts of expectations about things in my life going smoothly and easily, and I lose my temper all the time over the dumbest stuff. I'll give you one example. I hate cars. I really hate cars. There was a, thank you. Yeah, there was a time, yeah, especially recently. There was a time in my life when I was like a teenager. I had friends who were really into cars and they were really good at, you know, they would do like lift kits on trucks and do all this stuff. I'm like, I'm going to be a car guy. I'm going to have manly, dirty hands and I'm going to be able to like, you know, have a car. And then what I found out is that every time I work on a car, I end up bleeding and I also make the problem worse. And I fell out of love with cars like in my early 20s. I'm like, I'm done. I hate them. I hate cars. I really hate them. And you know what makes it, I'm, this is, I'm off script. And you're like, there was a script? Well, no, but listen, it's, it's like my expectation is that my car will always work. It will always get me from point A to point B and it should never give me any problems. That's what I expect out of a car. Is that too much to expect? Meanwhile, you're driving it on like Washington pothole roads and the engine is basically a bunch of explosions happening all the time. Like, why would I expect that the car is always going to work? And for another thing, the car breaks down in the most inconvenient of times. But like, that's dumb because when would there be a convenient time for my car to break down? Like, you know, I've got nothing better to do today. I'm just going to go around for a drive. The car breaks down. Awesome. This is great. I'm really happy that the car broke down right now because it's a really convenient time. Like, it's never a convenient time. And I will act very ungodly because I have this expectation that my car will never give me any grief. Now, that's a dumb example, right? It's just a car. Can I, can I just say, I will, I will say, I'm going to say this. We, in our culture, in our neck of the woods, I think there is a default expectation that life should go well and things should be easy. I don't, do you agree with me on that? Like in the United States of America in general, in a wealthy, prosperous city like Seattle, in the suburbs in general, there's just an expectation our cars will work, our online banking will work, our house won't fall apart, our health should be good, we've got health care, we've got a retirement account, we've got a two-car garage, we've got a fence, we've got a garage door opener, Lord knows those things never work, right? Like we have this default assumption that stuff is just going to work right. Why do we have that assumption? Jesus is here to mess with that expectation and to mess with that assumption. And let me tell you this, sometimes going through some hardships might actually be the best doggone thing for us because we've got rough edges and sinful, prideful, selfish hearts. And God says, okay, fine, let's walk through a little bit of fire here so that I can chip away those rough edges so that you can become more like Jesus. We need some hardships in our life. They say that if you, like a, like a baby chick, I've never done it, but if a baby chick, if you, if you open its egg for it, it won't thrive, it won't survive. It's got to go through some hardships and struggles. You parents, your kids need to go through some hardships and some struggles. Don't rescue them from everything. Keep them safe by, for, all, for crying out loud, but like hardships in and of themselves can actually be really good for us. Why do we expect to not ever have any? 
And why are cars so horrible? Okay, verse 17, moving on. Now, when Jesus came, I gotta ratchet it back in. Here we go. When Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. The math, it's not entirely clear, but it would appear that Jesus got the news and then he waited two days and then he traveled for a day. So it's pretty likely that Lazarus died on the day that Jesus received the news. And many of the, the, the Jews, many of the people that lived in that region had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Isn't that interesting? If you remember the, some of the stories about Mary and Martha, Martha's the one who's working and cleaning and doing the stuff, and Mary was the one who just was content to sit at the feet of Jesus. I don't want to oversimplify things, but it seems like Martha is kind of the like direct, take charge sort of a person, maybe more left-brained, and Mary's just a, hey, let's just sit and hang and cry and feel our feelings. And Martha went to meet Jesus. Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, listen to this, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, next week, when Jesus interacts with Mary, she's going to say the exact same thing. If you had been there, oh, Jesus, if only you. But look at this. Now, even now, I know that whatever you ask for from God, God will give you. That's tremendous faith. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Look, Martha's even got good theology, okay? Martha's out there, she's cooking, she's cleaning, she takes action, she goes out, she's got her theology straight. Like this Martha gal's got it together. But yet she still has these expectations. If you had been here, my life would have looked different. If you'd been here, my brother's life would have looked different. Jesus said to her, listen to these words, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Sometimes people like to say that Jesus is a good teacher, a good moral teacher. You don't say things like that if you're a good moral teacher. He is making shocking claims here. I am the res. Yeah, you, you are right, Martha. There will be a resurrection on the last day. But you know what? The power of the resurrection is here standing in front of you. I am the resurrection. And if you put your trust in me, if you put your faith in me, even if you die, you still have life. I have power over death itself. Do you believe this? And Martha said, yes, Lord. Listen to these words. I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God, who is coming into the world. Oh, does that sound familiar? Does that sound like that purpose statement I just read a few minutes ago? It's like the exact same thing. I believe she gets it. She trusts in Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, the son of God, the resurrection and life. Let me ask you this question. What do you expect your life to look like, particularly the end of your life? Like, how many years do you think you're going to live? Now, that's an odd question, right? 
if you think about like before the service, I'm out front greeting you, shaking it. Hey, how's it going? How, how's your week? Good. Hey, by the way, just was wondering, how many years do you think you're going to live? Why is that so awkward? Because we don't necessarily think about those things. I would, again, similarly, I think we have this expectation that I'm going to live a relatively good, long life, 70, 80, 90 years old, pass away quietly, peacefully in my sleep. Then we're shocked or devastated when things don't go according to that plan. Maybe we wouldn't say it out loud that clearly, but there's just kind of a default assumption that that's how things are going to be. Friends, in our church community, our, our little church family here, there are some serious life and death situations happening here. I have a good friend whose mother passed away earlier this year. There are two other members of the church who have mothers who are in the twilight years of life and have had serious medical complications. It's an up and down yo-yo this week, that week. When's the end going to come? We have at least two ladies in our church who are battling various forms of cancer. One in particular is not going well. And unless Jesus intervenes and does something miraculous, which he can do, the doctors are at their wits end and they've got no other hope. We have, um, one of our deacons is getting surgery right now because uh, went with his family to take a weekend away, last kind of weekend of the summer, play with the kids before school starts, all that stuff. Got a spider bite. Not a big, not that big of a deal. It happens. And over the next few days, it got infected and the infection went into the blood and it turned into sepsis. And he's been in the hospital now for a week and a half. And one of the, one of the nurses when I was there said that it was, he was about six hours away from death because the infection got into the blood traveling up the arm. And if it had hit his heart, it does not end well. And even for the few days, once things started to stabilize, they're like, hey, you might lose your arm. We might have to amputate your arm to save your life. Relatively young, you know, healthy individual, no chronic illnesses or anything like that, just hanging out with the family, boom, faced with the end, potentially faced with the end of his life. What do you think about when you think about death? What do you think about when you think about the longevity of your life? Maybe you'd say something like, I don't know exactly what I expected, but I didn't expect this. Makes me think of the words of the Apostle Paul in, in 2 Corinthians. When he's, he's talking about this life as an apostle. You know, we're afflicted in every way. We're not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. And then he says this, we always carry the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus may also be displayed in our body. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that Jesus' life may also be displayed in our mortal flesh. So death is at work within us, but life in you. I mean, there's a whole extra sermon that could be preached from that passage right there, but the Apostle Paul is in essence saying, yeah, we're always really aware of the possibility of death. And Jesus died, and we've got his death in us, and actually, really, that's all the life we need. What do you expect about your life and your death? So I'm, I'm, I'm challenging you here, but I want to provide hope for you as well because all of our expectations about time, 
about hardships, about life and death, they find stable ground at the cross. When you think about the cross of Jesus, there's this, there's this verse in Galatians 4 that said, when the fullness of time had come, when the, when the right amount of time had happened, God sent his son, born of a woman. Have you ever wondered why Jesus wasn't born in 300 BC or 2000 AD? Why was he born? Because God said so. And God's timing is perfect at just the right time. When the fullness of time had come to completion, God sent his son born under the woman to bear the curse of the law for us so that we might receive adoption. Is this good news to you this morning? So when you think about your timing and you think about why you're going through this and why you're having to wait on God, just remember at the cross, Jesus came at the exact right time. And when it comes to our hardships, when you think of the cross, we think of Jesus, our high priest, who in Hebrews 4, it says he's not unable to sympathize with our weakness, but he was tempted or he was tested or tried in every way that we are and yet was without sin. So when you're walking through hardships, know that Jesus walked that path before. Know that he's with you in the hardships. Know that he's sympathizing and he carried all of our bumps and all of our bruises and all of our burdens. He carried them up the hill to the cross to bear them on our behalf. And when you think about your life and your death, think about that that Jesus, like it says in 2 Timothy, that he gave us his grace in Christ Jesus before the ages began, which has now been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, the one who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Friends, it is not exaggeration to say that death itself has been defeated and we who have put our hope in trust in Jesus Christ have nothing to worry about. This is incredible. Like, just think about how insane that would be if Jesus himself hadn't really risen from the dead. To say we'll never die. Oh yeah, even if you die, you're gonna raise again. It's fine. Death is so temporary that Jesus can refer to it like falling asleep. Yeah, you're gonna wake back up. You're gonna wake back up. You're gonna rise again. You're gonna live forever. You're gonna live forever. You're going to live forever in perfection with the Son of God. No more hardships, no more suffering, no more diseases, no more cancer, no more blood infections, no more any of this. Jesus died to bring life and immortality through the gospel. So what do we do? Let me leave you with three thoughts. The first thing we got to do is we got to learn how to rest in God's timing. <laughs> well, that that's, sounds real easy, Aaron. Thanks. Thanks for that. Listen, it's, it's critically important. Uh, Tim Keller, pastor and author who I like to quote, says this, God's sense of timing will confound ours, no matter what culture we're from. And if you try to impose your understanding of schedule and timing on him, you will struggle to feel loved by him. So we need to learn how to rest in God's timing. I, I'll confess this to you. I really just, I rarely ever pray for God to give me patience. Because when I pray for patience, God gives me opportunities to grow in patience. And those are some of my least favorite opportunities. Uh, 
But the reality is that I'm, I'm on a, on, probably on a daily basis, I'm faced with some situation where I've got a choice. God, am I going to rest in your timing? Again, something small and simple like traffic isn't going as quickly as I want it. Well, I gave that hope up years ago, but, you know, oh, I shouldn't confess. I'll confess one more to you. The grocery store line is one of the worst experiences in all of human life. Like, I get in line, and I swear to you, every other line goes through two times before mine has even moved one person. Like, you can ask my wife, it's kind of uncanny, like, how much God keeps putting me in that situation. It's because I need to learn how to rest in his timing. And if I can't do it in stupid, simple things, like a grocery store line, how am I going to do it in the bigger things when I'm waiting? Some of you have been waiting for a long time for things in life, weighty things. Rest in God's timing. Number two, if that wasn't hard enough, how about this one? Rejoice in your sufferings and your hardships. There are numerous passages that I could take you to. Philippians, Peter. Rejoice in your sufferings. Show of hands, how many of you that does not come naturally? Thinking of what what do I do in sufferings? It's a different word. It doesn't start with R. Griping, complaining, whining, whatever. Rejoice. Rejoice. And friends, this is an act of the will. This is an act of the will for you to say, my God loves me. I don't know what these hardships are all about. I don't know exactly why I'm going through them, but I I know that it doesn't mean he doesn't love me. And I do know that he wants to use these hardships in my life to shape me and grow me and make me more like Jesus. So I'm going to rejoice. And not like the sarcastic, oh, thank you, God, for this opportunity. Like, I mean, like, rejoice. That's so counterintuitive. Well, we serve an upside-down king of an upside-down kingdom. So when you're in hardships, rejoice. And then lastly, remember your eternal life. We sang it at the beginning of our, of our singing time. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we have no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Your life, your earthly life, whether you live for 15 years total or 95 years in total, your life is but a blip on the timeline of eternity. Think about that. So you have a few hard months. I don't want to make light of that. I'm not trying to diminish that. But did you know that you're going to have an eternity of glory with Christ? Man, the last few years have been really hard. Oh, man, I feel for you. I love you. Let me care for you. Let me pray with you. Let me cry for you. And then let me remind you that you're destined for eternal life in heaven with our Savior. Amen? Remember eternity. In a moment, I'm going to invite Pastor Jamin to come up and lead us in communion and in a time of response. But before we do that, would you pray with me? God, we want to bring our expectations to you. God, the things that we've hoped for and desired and wished for and wanted, God, I ask and I pray that you'd help us to bring them to you right now. God, that we could repent where we have placed our expectations too low on you. Jesus, what you have for us is nothing short of eternal life, everlasting life and glory and joy in your presence. And God, I pray right now as we come in, I don't know what's going on in everybody's life, but I know that we We all have expectations, things that we think are going to go a certain way. God, will we take them and place them in your hands and simply trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.